Greetings, Earthers, Martians, Belters, members of the OPA. Welcome to episode 12 of Expanse, the unofficial podcast. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. And I'm your host, Nikki Starwalker. Welcome back to the show, Nikki. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, I had to fly solo without you on episode 11, and uh, it's good to have you back. Thank you. Yes, you did, but you did very well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So, Nikki, you heard the interview with Bob and Kaylin. What did you think? Oh, I thought it was a great interview. I mean, really nice work for everybody involved. Bob and Kaylin did a great job. Yes, they did. It was so nice to have them on. And I thought it was fascinating how they described their different roles. Uh, Kaylin as kind of an air traffic controller (laughs) and Bob as a creative, which is definitely something that I can relate to. Yeah. And it sounded like they had a lot to juggle because I said they had eight different organizations, eight different maybe companies or entities, I think Bob put it, um, doing the visual effects. And I thought it was really interesting uh, that Bob answered one of my questions, which was, when was he brought in? And he said that he's brought in when they're writing the script. Even before. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, he's first on, basically. Yeah, and it it makes sense with a show like this because so much of the story is told through the visual effects. So it, it makes sense. And there's a particular scene in episode four of CQB that I want to kind of bring back the discussion that I had with Bob and Kalen um, when we get there in the episode. That'll be fun. But yeah, I had a lot of fun talking to them. Sounds like they're they're keen to come back, which I am super excited for. And I know I've said it on the show before, and I know we, we kind of said it in the interview, but I just want to say again, for anybody listening, if you are involved with the making of this phenomenal TV show that we're all in love with, and you would like to come on the show and talk with us about The Expanse, we would love to have you. Um, Whatever your job on the show is, no job is too menial. Even if you're the guy that sweeps the floors when everybody is done, I'll bet you've got some amazing stories to tell of of things you've seen. So I'm... (laughs) Open invitation, you know, and of course, you know, if any of the actors have time in their busy lives to come on the show, you know, they're they're more than welcome as well. I don't want to sound like I'm like giving the actors the cold shoulder. I just (laughs) assume that they're far too busy and important to talk to the likes of us. But and anyone's welcome. Um, We're we're huge fans of the show. Obviously, we wouldn't be doing this if we weren't. Yeah, it would be great to hear everyone's input. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like I said in the interview, I'm really into behind the scenes stuff. I got the DVD sets for Star Trek The Next Generation back when I think I paid like 80 bucks a season for those. It was when like DVDs were still a big deal. And, you know, there's tons of behind the scenes interviews with not only the actors, but, you know, directors, producers, people on the crew, people who did makeup you know, all this stuff. And and that's what really kind of opened my eyes to how much really goes on to make a show like this that we don't even realize, that we don't see, and, and how there are probably hundreds of people involved in some way, shape, or form with making this show. And everything that every person does is is so important. And 
pretty soon, if not already, everybody's going to know who Kaz Amvar is and, and everybody's going to know who Stephen Strait is and Dominique Tipper, you know, but a lot of these people behind the scenes, you know, they never really get their moment in the spotlight. And, uh, you know, if we can provide that by having you on our humble little podcast, uh, we would be just tickled pink to do that. And I think that most, if not every person listening to this show would be as fascinated as we are to hear about anything from, you know, how the visual effects are done to how the sound effects are done, um, how the, the makeup and costuming is done or the music. Um, there's just so many aspects and, and I'm sure there are things that, that I don't even know exist. Yeah. Because for us, it's invisible. Right. Right. So yeah, that's my favorite episode we've done. And, and I didn't really do anything. I just kind of listened to them <laughs> spout their wisdom. Yeah, my favorite part was when um, one of them made the point that the show will reward the viewers. Yeah. And that is something that I love. If I'm a lo- loyal viewer of a TV show, it really makes me happy when I find an Easter egg, for yeah. instance. Yeah, now I want to go looking for Easter eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Are, is there a shot where we see like R2-D2 float by or something? Like what kind of great. Easter eggs are we talking about here? Right. I'd like to take the opportunity to say that I appreciate the kudos from Bob and Kaylin a lot. <laughs> um, my part in the show, though, is very small. <laughs> I basically just come on and talk. I'm the talent, but I yes. want to take the opportunity <laughs> to say that Lex does all the editing and it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Lex. <laughs> yeah, no problem. On our, uh, on, I think it was on my Google Plus post I made about the episode, friend of the show, Peter Gulka. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Sorry, Peter. Uh, Peter works really hard on the Expanse Wiki. He... <laughs> He made a comment that I actually uh, take a lot of pride in. <laughs> I know I shouldn't be prideful, but he, he said something along the lines of kudos to me for letting the guest talk. <laughs> yeah, it's really important in an interview <laughs> because, I mean, we're tuning in to hear the guest. <laughs> right. Not me. You guys hear me every week. Um, but, but that comment mean, meant a lot to me because I try very hard because I myself, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I've heard so many podcast episodes where they have some fascinating, like an author or something on. And it's like the podcaster won't let the poor guy talk. It's like, I want to hear him talk, let him talk. So um, I always, when I'm editing an interview and I have like my waveform and the guest waveform, you know, if it doesn't look like the guest is talking 90% of the time, like I'm talking too much. So (laughs) I see. And I, I was very touched by uh, Bob and, and Kaylin's uh, appreciation of, of what we do. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I actually got a little choked up. Hopefully you can't tell, but yeah, that, <laughs> that, was, that was super cool. But anyway, we, we should stop uh, swimming in circles here and okay. move on <laughs> uh, to talk about episode four CQB. Yeah. So first, and for anyone that maybe didn't catch it, what CQB means is close quarters battle. Okay. That's right. So I tend to talk way too much. So Nikki, why don't you tell us uh, what you thought about the episode, Any anything you want to talk about? And of course, I'll jump in as I tend to do. 
Okay. (laughs) Well, the first thing that really stood out to me that I kind of had to to grab my notepad for were the quote-unquote bandit ships that Mm. attack the Doniger. And I just thought they were so cool looking because they looked crystal-like. Yes. So one thing that I thought was really cool about those stealth ships Mm -hmm. is their shape. And I would love to see like a better shot of them because it was very dark. And But I understand that they're supposed to be mysterious. But the shape is actually really cool because it instantly reminded me of the F-117 stealth fighter. And I'm going to hand over a picture. This is a real aircraft that's a stealth aircraft and I think was definitely an inspiration um, has those same kind of like what you called almost crystalline like shape to it to deflect uh, radar and in this case probably radar. Oh, uh, I see. Very cool. Very cool stuff. Yeah, they must have used that. I mean, the body of it is very close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought those were super cool too. And as far as it being dark, sometimes it's about what you can't see. Right. And I think that made it more menacing. Yeah. Yeah, like the same thing with the Doniger. I, I still feel like I haven't really gotten my hero shot of the Doniger that that I wanted to get. And oh, before I say my next sentence, I should say, in case you're new to the show, we are going to spoil the hell out of episode four CQB. So if you've not seen a- episode four CQB, stop now, go watch it, come back. Especially for this episode. Yeah, so I'm going to spoil in three, two, <laughs> one. And we never will now see a hero shot of the Doniger, probably, at least not in the show, because it's uh, molecules now at this point, yep. I think. <laughs> but again, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm sure, hopefully on the VR app, they're going to add it. Like, I'd love to be able to get on the VR app and, and look around the Doniger and stuff. Oh, that'd be cool. But, you know, like you just said, you know, sometimes seeing less is more and it, too much detail can kind of take a lot of the mystery and and majesty and grandeur from something. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it was something that Bob brought up in the interview about the screens. And you had asked him what uh, we don't realize is actually special effects. Sure, yeah. And I noticed the screens on the Doniger looked so neat. And I love the animations to open and close windows yes. and the different gestures that the actors were yes. using very to Iron interact Man. with them. Yes, very Iron Man, uh, very futuristic and really cool. Yeah. I wonder, maybe someone listening that knows more than me can tell me, was the first Iron Man movie where he's using his uh, software or whatever that, that's uh, virtual and yeah. he's using those motions, was that the first time we saw that? in a movie it was the first time i remember seeing it and and now it's so like that's the way you do it like right it's a thing you know (laughs) to the point where when we have that technology that that's the way it'll act right just like we have flip phones because of star trek and tablets yeah yep so let me know if you know of a movie or or something that did that before iron man or, or was iron man did they kind of invent that that kind of what would you even call that? It was a user interface. Right. It's a motion sensing, which we have now. Yeah. Yeah. But this was kind of floating and right. it doesn't have a background to it. It's transparent. It's holographic. Yeah. 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 So that makes it even cooler. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have anything to add about the ship? Uh, the Doniger? I don't think so. See, I kind of have my notes in order of the episode. 
So okay, I kind of have to start at the beginning and go through it. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, I have one thing I want to say. I think it was on episode 10. I, I kind of went off a little bit about the Marine's armor. Mm-hmm. And we see a lot more of the armor in episode four. And watching it the second time now, I paid more attention to it. And I was a little disparaging of it. I, I think I called it like SCA slash hockey armor. And it, it's definitely much better uh, realized than that. It, you know, it, it's actual, you know, a lot of armor you see in TV shows is actually would not be at all functional. Like it doesn't protect the backs of the legs and things like that. It literally is SCA type armor. Yeah. It's just for show and looks. Um, where their armor is is actually functional or it appears functional. Right. And someone, I don't remember who, because uh, I was wondering, you know, is this supposed to be the powered armor? Because in the book, in in the scene uh, in CQB, when they're uh, helping Holden and his crew escape from the Doniger, in the book, they're wearing full powered armor. Okay. And I was kind of like, I hope this isn't supposed to be powered armor because this is not powered armor. And someone on our Google Plus group said that somewhere it had been said that there wasn't going to be any powered armor in season one. So I haven't been able to verify that. So I don't, I mean, that's speculation, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure that's the case. Or at least I'm sure that this isn't supposed to be powered armor. I mean, is, is fine of an eye for detail as they have. Oh, yeah. You know, and that I'm fine with. Like, I think I even said that on the previous episode. It's like if they just made a decision that like these Marines aren't in powered armor for whatever reason, like I'm totally fine with that. My only problem would have been if they would have been like, no, that's totally powered armor. (laughs) Yeah. And we get a much different perspective on it since we read the books. (laughs) Right, right. And I think you, uh, when we were talking about it before, Nikki, made a point of, well, maybe they're going to wait to introduce that with Bobby. Yeah. And I think you, I think you may be right. And I think that that may help be part of the impact of the introduction of her character is not only do we finally see Bobby Draper, which so many of us are just waiting for, mm-hmm. but we also get to see the Martian powered armor for the first time. Right. Yeah. It's going to be badass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm super stoked. Me too. <laughs> So I got to say again, uh, I love Captain Yao. I, I caught her name for this time. I think her first name might have been Teresa. I didn't quite catch it. It was Teresa or Therese or something like that. Okay. But uh, the captain of the Doniger, I, I love her. Yeah. She, she was phenomenal. Yeah. And her second in command. Yes. I didn't yes. get a chance to look up that actress's name, but I really am a big fan. Uh, they just worked great together. And I just got to say, kudos, salute. We have a captain and executive officer, both female, on Doniger, a, a Martian battleship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a freaking battleship. It's not even a destroyer. It's a battleship. I mean, it's so <laughs> awesome. Yep. I loved all of the combat sequences between the Doniger and the stealth ships. So much of the science fiction we've seen is, you know, lasers or phasers or turbo lasers or whatever you want to call them. And ever since the first time I read the first Honor Harrington book, Mm -hmm. I've been like, I want to see a battle like this. I want to see a space battle where they're using missiles and they're using point defense cannons and all this stuff. And it was so cool. It was so (laughs) awesome. 
Like I am, I'm such a nerd, like watching that. I'm like, I want to go to a museum where they have a full life-size mock-up of one of these missiles, like where it's like cut away and you can see all the parts in the engine and they have everything labeled. Like Mm -hmm. this is the fuel and this is the main ejector nozzle or whatever. Like I would love to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I just loved the tension that was in those scenes and I kind of wonder if if maybe there might n- there might not have been conversations in the making of maybe some of the Star Trek shows or whatever of, you know, the way we do space battles isn't really that realistic. And, you know, really, they'd be way, way, way far away and they'd launch their salvos and have to wait minutes for them, to, you know, to converge. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, people were probably just like... People aren't going to watch that. That's That would be so boring. How could we ever have that be tense and dramatic? And they totally did it. And and I noticed that one of the ways they did it was they kept cutting. Yeah. They, they'd launch their missiles and and then they cut to a scene with uh, Miller. Yeah. And then we'd come back and we'd see the missiles hitting. And and that was just a brilliant way to do it. And, and without losing the fact that they're waiting. And and we had the conversation between Captain Yao and Holden and oh the uh the intelligence officer. Uh-huh. Uh I, Lopez. I never Lopez. No, Lopez is the Marine. Oh, okay. Who's the intelligent officer? Or maybe that is Lopez. I think I'm getting confused because in the book they were two different people, and I think in the show they're both Lopez. Oh, okay. The guy with the ponytail, the ponytail guy that interrogated him and yeah. was taking the pills. He had a ponytail? Yeah, he did a really small one. Oh. I was like, that's not regulation. <laughs> but anyway, they, they were having this conversation while the missiles were coming, you know, and that right. was pretty cool because every once in a while someone would be like, one minute until they enter PDC range or whatever. And and that was really cool. I yeah. really like that. I think there was even a point in the conversation where she had the screen open watching and she just closed it. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to have to wait for herself. Yeah. We got this. And then she got called off the bridge to go to uh, communications level two or something like that in the middle of a battle. I'm like, whoa, she must be really confident in her officers that she's going to leave the bridge. And she was confident that they would win. Yeah. Yeah. There's a line at the very end of the episode where she's like, I never thought we could lose. Yep. There was so much in that line. I know. It was 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 actually moving, for lack of a better word. It was moving. I have not seen this woman in anything before. The actress that plays Captain Yao, but she just, she fucking nailed it. Yeah. She she took what in the book wasn't, actually, I don't think that was even a character in the book. I don't think we ever met Captain Yao in the book. Maybe we, I don't remember, but at at best a bit part in the book. And, And she made it like, Important. Yeah. yeah. A key a key role, I think, in this episode in establishing the scope and setting the tone and the fact that, you know, the Martians are on this like state of the art battleship that's, you know, even better than what Earth can can put out. So I, I don't know if you've caught this. There's been numerous references throughout the, the series so far, but Earth just or Mars just has better ships than Earth does. Mm-hmm. And they just they thought they were invincible. You know, and there's, you know, there's even points where they're like, oh, don't worry. Our PDC network can handle this. No problem. You know, yeah. and and it wasn't until the very end that they kind of realized that they were outmatched. And by then it was it was too late. Yep. So I thought it was really fun when Miller went to Busy's apartment, who uh, died in the last episode, and he found a slingshot club. 
which we read about in the book, but we yes. read later. So yes. it's really cool to see that now. Yeah, there there are quite a few things uh, in this particular episode that are foreshadowing things to come. And that's that's one right there. Yeah, that was cool. One of the uh, scenes we cut to is uh, the scene with Avasarala and her grandson, I'm assuming, laying on the roof of the house. Mm-hmm. And massive foreshadowing there. And that is all I'm going to say. That was a fantastic scene. That's one of those scenes that probably after you've watched, like, say, season five or six of the show, you're going to go back and watch this scene and be like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> This has so much more meaning now. <laughs> so um, real quickly, I thought I would explain a couple things for uh, people who are watching and haven't read the books and maybe aren't like super into like sci-fi kind of stuff. And, and maybe, you know, you hear these terms thrown around and, and you don't really know what's what. Great. So we hear PDCs referenced a lot. Um, PDC stands for Point Defense Canon. And so we see these uh, on the Doniger. We also see them on the Tachi at the very end. And these are literally huge fucking guns that shoot bullets made of tungsten. And their main job is to shoot incoming missiles. Mm -hmm. So the battle between the Doniger and the stealth ships was kind of like a classic space battle in this kind of world or this kind of setup right where they're they're way way far away from each other and they're lobbing missiles you know i love the shot where the two groups of missiles like pass each other yeah that was so awesome so the ship is you know probably thousands of kilometers away from you shooting missiles at you and so your ship has these cannons that as the missiles come in the range of the cannons they start firing and they blow up the missiles before they hit the ship mm-hmm and that's what the PDCs are, point defense cannons. And I imagine, and it seems like from what we're seeing in the show, that it's a largely automated system, um, computer controlled. And uh, so, yeah, that's what those are. Obviously, we saw the missiles. So the ships, you know, those are long range weapons. And then when they got into closer range, uh, they started using rail guns. And rail guns, um, I, I just about have a nerdgasm every time they talk about rail guns because it's like <laughs> I'm so sick of lasers and phasers and all this like magical hokey shit. It's like rail guns. Now, now you now you got me interested. So a rail gun uh, basically is a projectile weapon, just like a normal gun, like what we're used to. But instead of using a controlled explosion to hurl a piece of metal or whatever at really high you know, supersonic speeds. Instead, it uses electromagnets along a track to fling this metal object. And uh, they can fire something far, far more quickly than, you know, a regular firearm could. Wow, that's awesome. And, you know, we've, we've talked about using rail, railgun type technology to send rockets in the orbit and whatnot. So, mm -hmm. Oh, that's so, right. It's it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure no one's built a railgun to the scale that we see on the Doniger or even the Tachi, but you know, it's real technology. It's not it's not mumbo jumbo magic like we have in Star Trek and Star Wars. So that that's the kind of stuff that I love about about the show. Yes. So I want to jump to the Navu. Yes, that's where I was going to go next too. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike. That's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, so Fred Johnson is there, which we might not have gotten oh, his name yet. My God, I love Fred. Do you like the actor? Oh, or? that's what I mean. Okay. I, he is so much cooler than what I pictured, and and I love his voice. Yes. Oh, my a God. A great voice for the role. And this character um, is the one that I've had requested when we did our character reviews. Yes. And actor reviews. And a lot of people are big fans of Chad Coleman, who plays Fred. I can Fred. see why. I don't think I've seen him in something before, but I... I can see. I want to go find shit he's in now. Yeah. Well, maybe we can start Walking Dead and try that. But people love him. <laughs> we did try Walking Dead, remember? Oh, that's right. We did. Is he in that? Yes. I just don't really get into zombies. Yeah. Can't, I can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but the visual effects for those shots were beautiful. And just I thought it was stunning the way that we got to see Tycho Station. Yeah, I loved Fred's smackdown of that Mormon douchebag. Yeah. That was so <laughs> great. Man, he put that man in his place. And you could see it too. Um, the guy that was playing the Mormon, he did a great job. Like you could see it in his face that like he knew he'd just been outmaneuvered and there wasn't really anything he could do about it. And Fred's like, well, you know, if you don't want pieces to start falling off your ship half the way to where you're going, you know, you might not want to get rid of me. <laughs> not so subtle, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know? <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. I loved it. That was so great. <laughs> One of the next scenes that I want to talk about is on the ship when they're um, being held captive. And by them, I mean... Naomi Nagata and Alex and Amos and Holden's up in front. He's not he's not with them. And Alex kind of loses it and he starts to panic. Yeah. Because they're being attacked and he's never been in this situation before. Oh, such a great scene. It was. Shed attempts to calm him down by, I think, trying to throw him some kind of medication. Yeah, yeah, Okay, that's what it seemed like. Yeah, and the next scene, the med medication is in the air. Alex is trying to catch it, and you hear a loud boom. It, it almost sounds like a hammer hitting something, and you find out that Shed has lost his head. Oh, no, Shed's head. <laughs> Shed's dead. Yeah, it was, I just, I think I stopped breathing for a minute. Oh, that was great. <laughs> That was so great. I love yeah. the effects. I don't know, just every scene in this movie, like the, the or this movie. See, it seems like a movie. It's so good. Right. In this episode, like from the timing to the acting to the, the, the actual, like the word, the dialogue, the words that they're saying, like everything was just, just perfect. It's just so brilliant. Yeah, it was great. And the way the blood was trickling out through the whole and yeah. they had to seal the holes as quickly as possible. And when they did this and when gravity came back, the blood just dropped down yeah. onto everything. And it goes and like. Shed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so great. I love that. I want to know how they did that sound. How, how did you guys make that sound? That was great. <laughs> I was so horrified. <laughs> Something I want to mention that, that came to my mind the second time watching this that I don't think we've mentioned yet is I love... I love, love, love the music. Yes. And especially in that scene when they're like tossing the glue gun, for lack of a better term, back and forth in the zero G, like the music was just so fucking fantastic. It was just like, it was oh, perfect. it was great. Yeah. It was great. 
It fit the scene perfectly. You know, in a previous life, I, I wanted to, uh, I, I used to be like really, really hardcore in the music. Like I was a musician and I wanted to be a musician until my parents talked me out of it, which I kind of wish they wouldn't have. But anyway, what I wanted to do was I wanted to do film scores. Oh, okay. And I wanted to, if not write the scores, at least perform them and be in the orchestra uh, because it's just amazing how you can use music to convey emotion. And in like that scene, how the music just carried this, this tension and this drama and this impending something. You don't know what, but you know something is coming. It's yeah. just so great. I love the music. I can't wait for the soundtrack. I, I'm going to buy that thing and like listen to it all the time. <laughs> it's that now it's serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe sci-fi will give us permission to use it for our show. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, it would be just great. Just have that going in the background all the time. <laughs> that would be awesome. So we find out in this episode that Havelock is alive. Yeah. Now, he's not doing well, but he's alive. <laughs> yeah, we don't know yet if he's going to pull through or not. Right. Um, it, de- it definitely seemed like it could go either way at this point. I love that the that the the Belter woman is like picking his pocket. Right. And and it was kind of cool because it was like she was trying to steal from a corpse. Like that's what she thought was happening. But as soon as he moved, she's like, oh, shit. And then she went and got help. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool because it shows it's like people are desperate and people will steal But, you know, there's this belter thing of you help someone in need, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know that in the show yet they've really, you know, shown a light on that yet. But the belters, there's this philosophy. Well, I guess they did a little bit uh, in the first episode when they were debating whether or not to answer the distress call. But there's this philosophy of, you know, we're out here in this environment that every millisecond of every day is trying to kill us. Mm hmm. And the only way any of us has even the remotest chance is if we all pull together. And so the Belters have this, this philosophy of you help each other out. And, and I think we saw that in that scene because I think if that would have happened in New York today, she would have just ran away. She wouldn't have called the cops, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she probably would have taken his wallet and then ran away. But she didn't do that. She went and got help. And I thought that was really cool. That was kind of a moving scene. For me, because I expected her to just like run away. Yeah. I, I thought he was fucked at that, that point. And then she's like, I'm going to get help. And, yeah. and then she's like, you know, there's an officer. He needs help. And yep, that mm-hmm. was cool. <laughs> and, and I love that because, you know, people love to try to pigeonhole stuff. And, and I've actually heard people say, oh, this is dystopian science fiction. And I don't think it is. I think it's actually realistic science fiction you know you have utopian where oh in the future like star trek like in the future everything's going to be wonderful and everybody's going to love each other and hold hands and everybody will be equal and there won't be any war disease or violence and everything will be wonderful mm-hmm. and then on the opposite side you have dystopian where you know it's like everything's gonna suck and we're all gonna be eating each other for lunch and stuff <laughs> and this isn't either I, right. I feel like this is more like no this is how it would really be it's like yeah there's a lot of of materialism and there's a lot of villainizing people or or making people the other like I'm a belter so fuck Martians and stuff like that yeah but there's still you know humanity and there's still compassion and there's still you know because Havelock's an earther right I'm sure the character knew that he was an earther and a cop 
Yeah. And she still helped him. And that was really cool. Yeah. So it's not dystopian. Because if it was dystopian, that wouldn't have happened. No. She would have picked his pocket and ran. <laughs> Maybe hid his body somewhere so no one would find it. <laughs> <laughs> so we find out in this episode that there's a Phoebe Station cover-up. Yeah. That's pretty interesting, huh? We still don't know much. No. There was a scene where, where Holden was, was talking to Lopez and was like, hey, we're all going to die anyway, so what the fuck is up with Phoebe Station? Yeah. And we find out that uh, the Doniger was dispatched there because they'd lost contact. They show up. Everybody's dead. Everybody's been burned alive and, like, fused to the ice walls of the cavern or something. I didn't quite catch all that. But, oh. um, you know, at first they think, oh, some horrible accident happened. And then they figure out, no, this was done on purpose. And obviously they're trying to cover something up. Yep. But we don't know what. Not yet. Yes. But let's remember. <laughs> Something's going on. Yes. Yeah. There's there's something. And you remember when uh, the Martian intelligence officer was interrogating Holden, he asked him about Phoebe Station. Yeah. I you do. Know, and they were convinced that they'd gone to Phoebe Station. And mm -hmm. I think at the end, he finally realizes that they didn't. So... Another scene I really like. There are just so many touching scenes in this for an episode that was so much action mm -hmm. that there were these like human moments. And and one of those that, that really like kind of got to me was the scene with uh, Alex and Naomi and Amos and Shed's corpse. <laughs> yeah. Where they've sealed the hull breaches, but they're like, we've got hard vacuum all around us. Unless someone comes to get us, we're fucked. You know, eventually the air's going to run out and we're we're done. You know, and and so, you know, they're like, well, if there if one of us was unconscious, we'd have that much more time because you know someone unconscious breathes more slowly than someone who's conscious. So they start arguing about who's going to be the one to go under, and. Alex is like, well, Amos, you're an earther, so you use more oxygen than I am because I'm a Martian, which that was some interesting setting kind of building there. Mm -hmm. And Amos is like, yeah, but I can carry you. You can't carry me. And so Alex sits down and, you know, he, he gets ready to take the tranquilizer and he's like, I want to wake up. And both times I saw that, I was like, fuck no. If I was Alex, there is no way I would trust those two people enough to do that. Yeah. There's no way. And, and you know, they've so much in these episodes, they've been showing how they don't know each other. They don't trust each other. Everyone's got secrets, you know, and, and you've got the Martians trying to kind of foment discord among them by like, did you know Naomi was OPA? And did you know Alex was a Navy boy? And, you know, yeah. And, and for him to do that, like, I think that says more about Alex's character than everything else he's done put together. Like that was so heroic and brave. And then the part that I found really touching was how Amos treated him, mm -hmm. you know, all the way from, I mean, we don't really see it, but he suits him up in his EVA suit and he, he's like, I'll carry him. Yeah. You know, there wasn't even a moment of, well, maybe we should just leave him. Yeah. Like and that I, never entered his mind. Right. And I think it was because Alex took one for the team, as right. Amos put it. Yeah. And Alex seemed pretty convinced to me that Naomi was OPA. Yeah. So I was actually surprised that he did that. Yeah, that was that was so that was so awesome. 
That was great. I wanted to give both those men a big hug in that scene. I was like, you guys are awesome. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> so let's jump in and talk about the epic catwalk scene. Yeah. So this is the one I mentioned earlier that I wanted to kind of bring in the conversation that I had with Bob and Kalen because we talked a bit about this scene in the interview. Yep. And this was the one, if you remember the interview, uh, Bob was talking about how originally they were in zero G during that and people are like running on the walls and the ceilings and then they realize, oh no, you know, there's gravity at this point and they had to kind of rethink how they did that scene And I remember Bob said something along the lines of, you know, hopefully when you see that, you're like, yeah, they got that right. And like, they fucking totally got that right. That little maneuver that Holden pulls with Naomi is probably, I think, the single coolest zero G thing I've seen, period, anywhere. That was so (laughs) cool. Yeah, I had to be like, wait, what am I watching? What's going on? <laughs> Why yeah. is he doing that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The first time we watched it, like we we saw it and you were like, wait a minute, what just happened? I don't understand. So we backed it up and watched it again. And I kind of explained like what was, you know, so for anyone that w- that was a little like, what, what, what was happening? So they're run- um, Holden and Naomi are running across the catwalk. They get like halfway or two thirds of the way across and the engines go out, which means gravity's gone. So suddenly they're in zero G. So they float up and they've got some forward momentum. So they're kind of floating up and kind of floating forward, but definitely not fast enough to get where they're going before they get filled with bullets, right? Mm-hmm. So Holden thinks very quickly. He hooks his line to Naomi's Backpack? suit. Her, yeah. And then he kicks her away from him. And what happens is... You know, because they're in zero G, he's basically pushing her away, which pushes him in the opposite direction and gives him just enough uh, momentum that he's able to get his gravity boots to connect to the deck plate. And then he pulls her back right. with the line so that she can get her boots on the deck plate and then they can they can continue on. That was that was so brilliant and it looked so good. It, yeah. it was great. Yeah. And and I think it's a testament to how well that the effects of that were done that, you know, you were a little like at first you were like, wait, what what happened? But then when I kind of pointed out and we watched it again, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And if they would have gotten anything a little bit wrong, it w- you would have been like, I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. But, but they got her. And I can't imagine. I'd love to know maybe uh, when Bob and Kaylin come back, they can tell us how many hours and how many takes it took to get that to get that right because right. I'm I'm sure they were both on wires at the time it must have been rough yeah well Bob said he's on set at least some of the time so. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that was super cool and again I love the music during that scene the music was great oh yeah it was awesome and you know something about Amos um this I never thought of it when we were watching the show but now that you discussed how Amos is treating Alex as a little bit different than he did before. He got shot and he still picked Alex yeah. up and dragged him across. There. Amos is a fucking bear, man. Yeah. One bullet is not going to slow him down very much. <laughs> but he could have just been like, fuck this. I'm yeah. running for yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I actually, the first time we saw that, I was confused and I thought Alex had gotten shot because Amos was the one still supporting him. Mm-hmm. And then I realized when we backed it up and watched it again, I'm like, oh no, Amos got shot. Holy cow, the beast, man. (laughs) And I like those helmets that they're wearing because you can see their entire face. Right, yeah. 
Yeah. And speaking of, um, I already brought up how, you know, I, I apologize for dissing the Marines armor in the previous episode because it, it's now that we've seen more of it, it's it's pretty cool. It's not powered armor, but I don't it's pretty clear it's not supposed to be. It's, mm-hmm. you know, what they wear on the ship, which I think makes more sense. I don't think it really makes sense that they would be using powered arm, armor on the ship. But there's something there's some some cool some kind of nanotech going on with the, with the armor. Um, we saw a couple uh, there's a scene where uh, Holden's like investigating the uh, whoever it is that had boarded the ship that he thought was down and the guy like grabs him and he's like Holden's like pointing the gun at him and the Marines come up and they like blow his arm off mm-hmm. and you see like the the suit like like cover the wound. Yeah. And then you see in the end when they're when they're escaping and Lopez comes across the catwalk you know, there's something going on. Like, obviously he's been shot and you see like something going on with the suit. Like, it seems like it's like repairing itself or something. Oh, really? Yeah. It really reminds me of, uh, in the Scalzi books, like old man's war when they have, uh, actually it wasn't old man's war. It was the second one. Do you remember what the second book was called? No. Where, where they're dropping from orbit and they're, they're basically, um, Oh, what do you call it? Where you basically like parachute from orbit and um, they have th- this like molecule thick, like nano suit around them, and and everything's like nanotech. Like yeah. it really reminded me of that. It was super cool. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. I didn't notice that on his suit though. Yeah, it looks like almost like the smoke or or something coming off of his suit. Okay, but it, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what was happening there. But the way I interpreted it was he'd been shot at least once. And the suit was like repairing itself and like sealing the breach. And we were seeing like some atmosphere escape because they were at, they were in pressurized suits at that point. So, okay. But yeah, that was really cool. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the last thing is really for me, what this episode was really about was the, the fucking Tachi and that whole sequence of them getting on it and getting out was just amazing. Yes. (laughs) that was my favorite part when they're trying to escape and they make it onto the ship and um, the guns. It's interesting because Alex gets into the front seat and Holden just screams at him. He's just like, get us out of here. And Alex just like, okay, I don't remember his response, but he was just like, you got it. (laughs) Well, he's still half tranquilized at this point, which is why he gave himself the juice. And he's also... Um, divulge earlier in the episode that he was basically a glorified bus driver. So he's never flown a combat ship before. Wow. I mean, yeah. this is, this is a Corvette. So he's never flown anything like this before. <laughs> yeah. And he, he unlocks the guns. That's yeah. all he does. He just unlocks them. We don't see him targeting or, you no. know, carefully maneuvering no, with the, them. The Tachi does it. Yeah, that's it. Because Bob said something in the interview about the ships actually having artificial intelligence. Yeah. And I think I really saw it here where the guns seem to rotate and find their targets. Yeah, they, they you know, there are all these, uh, the boarding people were firing at them from various positions around this hangar. And yeah, the, the PDCs come out and they're like tracking where the fire is coming. Like if, if you watch the scene, they're actually firing laying down fire from where the fire is coming, you know, from right. the opposing fire is coming from. It's not like they're just shooting randomly around. Yeah. 
And and I guess we we watched it like four or five times and we couldn't see it, but I will take his word for it. I think it was, it was either uh, uh, Daniel or James S.A. Corey on Twitter said that there's a shot in there where the Tachi like bangs up against something and the PDC cannon like actually retracts right before it hits to like protect itself. Oh, cool. Yeah. And we tried, you know, a few times to see it. And I think just like if I went on my computer where I could go frame by frame, I'm sure I could see it. So I'm going to take his word for it, even though I, I couldn't see, I really wanted to see it. We, we tried like four times, <laughs> but, but we just couldn't on the TV. We couldn't go frame by frame. You right. Know? Right. <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was super cool. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. I love the Tachi. That was, that was amazing. Um, when, when he, brings the PDCs out and they just start firing. Yeah, I got the feeling of a beast being unleashed. Yeah. It was like they just needed to be unlocked and then the ship just went. Like it knew what it had to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and I hope you notice those big fucking guns on the front of the Tachi. Oh, yeah. Those are... Uh, is it a spoiler if I tell people what those are? Is that a spoiler? I don't think so. Those are rail guns, baby. <laughs> those are keel mounted rail guns if it's like it is in the book just okay. like the doniger had and you remember you remember the doniger was like we've never seen rail guns on ships this small well the, the tachi's i think quite a bit bigger than than those those stealth ships were but, right but yeah i think uh i think the corvette is the smallest class ship that they normally would mount a rail gun to so okay yeah that, that was cool stuff it was and it kind of takes on new meaning when alex talks to the ship because if the yeah. ship actually has AI, yeah. it conceivably understands. Well, you notice there's a bit where they first get on board where Lopez just says into the air, he, he says, you know, release all operations or commands or whatever to everyone on board. Like he basically gave everybody on the ship access. Right. Um, because before that, he probably would have been the only one that could have done anything with the ship, you know. Right. And, you know, there was something kind of subtle there that um, people might not have quite caught what happened. Um, and I'm going to assume that this is uh, the same as in the book. Uh, it, looked like, it looked like it was. So they're getting ready to take off. And Lopez tells Alex, you know, basically, you know, take evasive maneuvers. I want you to do maximum burn and get us the fuck out of here as fast as you can and make sure no one follows us, right? Mm-hmm. And Alex does, I, I love this part. He's like, you know, you got it, Haas. And then he's like, you know, yes, sir. You know, he like mm -hmm. gives him that respect, which I thought was really cool. And then Lopez turns to Holden and he says, I wish I would have, I wish I could have seen an ocean on Mars. That would have been something or something like that. Right. Yeah. And I think what, what maybe you didn't catch or didn't realize was he's going to die. And I think at that moment he knows it right? because he has taken some kind of injury. He's probably got internal injuries and they're going to do a high G burn, which you see at the very end of the episode, you see Holden pass out. Yeah. So when you are pulling that many G's, if you've got like, say, a broken rib, it could be enough to push that rib into an organ or something like that. And that's what happened in the book was the, the high G burn actually was what killed. I mean, he probably would have died anyway, mm -hmm. but that was like the killing blow. Yeah. And I think the character knew that when he said, you know, maximum burn out of here, like he knew like, this is my end. Like, I'm not going to survive this. Yeah. But you know, the mission comes first. Yep. Yeah. His character was fascinating. Yeah. 
it, I think it, it was so cool how in the course of what, was he on what, two episodes, three and four? I thought or, it was just on, oh no, you're right, three and four. Yeah. So in the course of two episodes, that character went from, in my mind, went from a total prick, like, oh, this guy's such a dick, to like, like I had a lot of respect for that character and, and thought he was awesome and was sorry to see him go because I would have liked to have seen more development of that character because he was so cool. Yeah, if nothing else, it made me say, wow, Ace, he's a human being with right. complexity. Right. And I really like that about this show, actually. I know we keep going on about it, but each character is more than something that you could sum up in a few words. Right. And there's no, this person is evil and this person is good. Right. It's like, no, <laughs> people are people. <laughs> All right. Well, um... I think that's everything I can think of to gush about. You, Nikki? Same here. All right. So uh, we'll wrap up episode 12 of Expanse, the unofficial podcast. If you would like to reach us, a great way to do so is email us at expansepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lex Starwalker. You can follow me at Nikki Starwalker. And I'm also on Google Plus, plus like Starwalker. We'll be back next week with another episode. We'll be talking about the fifth episode, uh, which I am super excited to watch. Um, I saw someone on Twitter make some cheeky comment about, hey, Sci-Fi, when are you releasing the next four episodes online so we can watch them all at once? And uh, yeah, that would be great, Sci-Fi. <laughs> don't, don't make me just do one a week. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what, Sci-Fi, I will make you a deal. If you put the next four episodes out this week online, I promise you, I will watch at least one episode of The Expanse every week until you put the next four out. <laughs> Scout's honor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm going to do that anyway. Who am I kidding? I'll probably be watching all four of them again. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's going to do it for, for us this week. Uh, definitely um, shoot us an email or a tweet or a message on Google+. Plus. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, we'd love to hear your comments. Let us know what was your favorite part of CQB. Um, of the first four episodes, what, what was your favorite episode so far? Um, CQB is definitely mine. Uh, how about you, Nikki? Oh, I suppose it is. But it's really hard to pick one. You don't have to say it just because that's what I said. It was, it's, it's, it's almost like whatever I last watched was my favorite episode. All right. So until next week, conserve your oxygen and your water. Resources are precious in the outer solar system. So long. And thanks for all the fish. Flip and burn, baby. Flip and burn. <laughs>